0: Forum, Borealis,
1: Paradigm, Expansion. Greetings from the north and welcome to the forum today called Gnosis, Forbidden Self-Discovery. Tonight's guest is Timothy Warren Hogan, who is an author, researcher, and initiate of several different spiritual and esoteric traditions, including many bodies of Freemasonry, Martinism, and Rosicrucian lineages. He is the current Grandmaster for the Ordre Souverain du Temple Initiatique which is one of the oldest Knight-Templar lineages, and president of Circe's International, also known as the Templar Research Institute, a school for personal cultivation that studies the world's cultures and spiritual traditions throughout history. Additionally, he is a former editor and has also written for several periodicals over the last decade, including L'Initiation, or Initiation, the New Equinox Journal, the Scottish Right Journal, and Herodom, Ariadne's Web, and currently writes for Livingstone's magazine. He has lectured all over the world in both public and private venues and has appeared on numerous television programs worldwide, as well as multiple podcasts and radio interviews. He also works as COO of Elite Sterling Security and is one of the founders of the cigar shop Fraternitas Cigars. We have invited him on to elaborate on the mysterious Gnosis and Gnostic currents that celebrated that concept, of which Hogan is considered an expert from his many lectures on the topic, as well as from his books, in particular... Entering the Chain of Union, which is the basis for today's conversation. This program is the first in a series of investigations into lesser-known yet noteworthy spiritual currents of the world. Welcome back to the forum, Timothy. Thank you. I'm saying welcome back, even though this will be our first program with you, because what our listeners don't know is that we recorded a smashing show with you, where we took on the Templars. But uh, unfortunately, the curse seems to be resonating still. (laughs) Uh, we had some some problems and we're working on that program trying to get it out and we're gonna rework it a little and we're gonna have you back to to fix the part that didn't work and then we're gonna release it and i, I can assure our listeners it's worth the wait uh, that program we've called covert history of the night's Templars," and we're really touching upon every aspect of that legendary riddle group but today We've invited you on because you're such a resource on a host of related topics. So today we're going to take on the mysterious Gnostics. And uh, you have written a book on the Gnostics, isn't that right?
0: Yeah, my book, Entering the Chain of Union, primarily covers some Gnostic beliefs and philosophies and Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a exploration of different strains of Gnosticism that have existed in the past and how they've developed in the past, up through the modern day, and how they relate to modern traditions that are practicing forms of Gnosticism today. Right, and how they're all related.
1: Yeah. Now let's begin with understanding what Gnosticism is, because it's very hyped these days. You find it all over the place. I think the basics is always a good place to start, and when if we look at the word, we can see that it has a similarity, for instance, with the word agnostic. Yes. Uh, could you explain what the word means?
0: Yeah. So the word agnostic uh, comes from from gnosis in Greek, and gnosis just means to know, but it doesn't mean uh, knowledge in a the way we normally associate it with, like, the, the memorization of facts. Instead, it, it alludes to an experiential no, knowledge, hmm. and, uh, it, and it was deemed to be a divine knowledge or something that came directly from the mind of the creator. And consequently, the word gnosis in... Uh, Greek is very similar to uh, words that we find in Eastern traditions, uh, like enlightenment and nirvana, and and other ideas like this. It's a it represents a personal experiential awakening and knowledge to the greater consciousness of the creator and the universe. Mm.
1: And this is an interesting concept, because uh, if you take a look at the uh, spiritual and religious traditions in the world, you can kind of distinguish between two main groups. On the one hand, you have those that profess that access to, to the Almighty is through some appointed people, like a priesthood. Right. Right. Uh, And also, similarly, that the access from the Almighty to the people are through the same middleman, so to speak, the handlers of God.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. And then you have the other kind of groups which claims that, no, 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 you, as an individual human being, do have direct access to to the source. And uh, then they have a lot of words to describe this. And there we can find words like like gnosis, right? Correct. Like uh, illumination. uh, (laughs) In German, they have a very good word that, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's Erkendung. And it's about, like you said, it's about an experienced realization. It's like a deeper insight, not just this uh, shallow fact-based information, but... It's it's like when you grasp something and integrate it into you, so that knowledge becomes wisdom. Couldn't we say that?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, gnosis is something you feel in your bones, so to speak. It's it's an experience that you you know with all of your being, and uh, it, it defies in some ways. It even defies rational uh, understanding, uh, but it's. The belief is once someone experiences an awakening of, of Gnosis, uh, then they know beyond a doubt that there is a creator and that our consciousness is somehow connected with that greater consciousness of the creator. Mm-hmm. And once someone knows that, there's no going back. And <laughs> this is one of the differences between the word uh gnostic and agnostic because the word agnostic of course means not to know so that word gnosis is still in agnostic but but an agnostic is one who doesn't know they don't know uh you know they don't know if there's a god or not and that's just where they're at whereas a gnostic is one that that knows uh completely because they've had a direct experience That has somehow guided them in their life or guided their perception and has led to deeper insight and wisdom.
1: Could we say that the road from ignorance to enlightenment, illumination, then would be that the first step is to be an agnostic, to to accept that you don't know, and then to search for that inner connection so that you become one who knows?
0: yeah I think so. I mean, I you know I think it's it's uh, you know the first thing we first step is to realize we don't know anything mm. uh, and that most of what we think we know has just been a form of cultural conditioning that has been indoctrinated into us throughout our life. Mm. and then the the second step is realizing, hey, we, you know, maybe we don't know. and then from there, we can be open to the possibility of uh, an experience of true knowing. Uh, but we have to give up a lot of what we've previously thought was true in order to be open to new possibilities.
1: Yeah, that that's an old problem. You know, dogma is so hard. It's so crystallized in people's mind. I mean, people would rather die than... Uh, adjust their paradigm at the point where they don't choose it themselves. And uh, indeed, I think that uh, in order to, to adjust your paradigm, you need to detach yourself from false identification points. At the lowest level, people's primary identification is with their body. Uh, then I would say that the next level would be with your emotions then with your intellect, meaning you can always see people who are identified with opinions, with ideas, right? They they take it personally if you express something that goes against what they believe, what they entertain as truth. And that's uh, you see that especially among fundamentalists. They're so wrapped up with their ideas that it's their notion of self. But could you say that a true Gnostic has a deeper identification. Is not identified with the body, with the emotions, with the thoughts, but with something more causal, with something more essential.
0: Yes, in fact, in the ancient Gnostic traditions, which uh, you know some have have theorized, uh, it's hard to say how how far back Gnosticism goes. Mm-hmm. You know, some have associated it with, um, for example, Pythagoras's school, his Pythagorean school, was a form of of Gnostic instruction. Uh, People have looked to the allegory of Plato with his cave allegory as being a Gnostic metaphor.
1: Obviously, Plato was a Pythagorean, but you also have like... Uh, the fire worshippers, the Saratustras, uh, surasters that's right, that's right. And ancient traditions
0: yeah, and th- I mean there's a number of ancient traditions that, and one of the things that is seems to be consistent um, across these traditions is the idea that at some point uh, you have to symbolically die to your image of your old self mm. in order to be open to new illumination mm. And consequently, uh, a, a number of the early Gnostic schools developed initiation rites that illustrated this idea of a symbolic death and awakening to the new light of Gnosis. And it should be pointed out that the word, for example, in the New Testament, the word resurrection Uh, actually comes from the Greek word anastasis which just means awakening Mm. and so the Gnostics interpreted the awakening of of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus as as a metaphor to the awakening to Gnosis as opposed to a literal corpse of a physical body (laughs) Waking yeah, yeah. up and starting to walk around again like a zombie.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, well, this is the opposite of a zombie, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but if we look at uh, the ancient traditions predating the Abrahamic religions, and we're going to get to Christianity and Gnosticism in that regard, but if we do look at the pre-Abrahamic traditions, Isn't it true that we find this concept you just mentioned also, for instance, among the ancient Egyptians?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, the fundamental to the idea of of Gnosticism was that there was one consciousness and that every individual consciousnesses were just aspects of this greater consciousness. Mm. And they had closed themselves off and separated themselves and consequently, the experience of gnosis is part of getting back to that oneness. Mm. And consequently, the stories of Osiris in ancient Egypt, for example, uh, were taken to be allegories for this process. Of in the story of Osiris, you know, his body is chopped up into all of these uh, individual pieces and then Isis has to recollect all those pieces and put them back together into the oneness. Right. And this is a metaphor for how our own soul needs to uh, recognize that all the things that we think are separate and distinct need to be regathered back into the realization of oneness. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, or the monad, you know, as the as the Pythagorean tradition would say, you know, that it has to go back to that one. Story.
1: Yeah, or union, as you say in your union. book here. Yeah, or yoga, as it's called in Indian tradition. Yes, uh, it's so interesting if you look at the words that the different tradition uses for this path. In Taoisms, um, they say Tao means path.
0: Yeah, that da- path or way. Yes.
1: Yeah, and, and in Kabbalism, it's called uh, Kabbalah, it means tradition. Yes. And you have, uh, you have so many similar words that point to this same thing. Uh, you have, uh, like I said, yoga, oneness, gnosis, to know. All of these things are related. And indeed, I would claim, and you can you ta- give us your take on this, uh, I would claim that if we look at the oldest spiritual traditions in the world, and then I mean both in the East and the West. I mean, I could I could mention the Toltec among the Amero-Indians the, and the Mayan, uh, the Egyptian I mentioned, the the Sufi among the Islamic, the Kabbalism yes. among the Judaism, the Druze, yes. uh, the Hermeticism. And of course, in, in Eastern, we also have uh, like the Brahmins and the Tantra and the Vairayana Buddhism. Yes. I think, and here's my allegation, I think that all these traditions are remnants, are survivals of a common source, an older, uh, should I say, uh, oneness, where, because we have another series in the forum where we examine the evidence for an antediluvian yeah. civilization, yes. and if that concept is genuine, then indeed we should expect surviving pockets of a spiritual traditions. So what's your take on that?
0: Yeah, well, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, the a lot of the Gnostic literature of the, you know, of the last two thousand years don't necessarily talk as much about um, Antediluvian civilizations, though the 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 story of Noah's Ark is sometimes uh, believed to be both a uh, a story for the passing on of a tradition since pre-flood times mm. along with a metaphor for the Gnostic process of awakening mm. uh, but that I, I believe that the that there is a there was a primordial tradition that these things came out of mm. and that this idea of gnosis is uh, is, uh, even though it may be called by different names, it, it is fundamental to our human nature and uh, fundamental to these early traditions. And,
1: mm.
0: You know, we look at, uh, as, as an example, you know, in ancient times, the, the priesthoods of the different religions, they, it would have been, absurd for them to to be fighting with other priesthoods. This is a very modern concept. Right. You know, where where one religion fights against another religion and that would have been unheard of in the ancient world. In the ancient world the 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 priests recognized the priests from other religions as also priests of the same tradition.
1: Yeah and they exchanged. Yeah
0: they exchanged. That's right. I mean, this is why, for example, we see Alexander the Great sacrificing at the altars of all the different gods, including the God of the Jews, Mm. uh, because he recognized that they were all celebrating the same divine mystery, even though it may be coming across in different ways, or there may be different cultural names you know placed on that mystery but ultimately it was the same mystery right
1: yeah you know um here's an idea i want to pitch you the problem today is that people do exactly that stupid thing you talked about they look at the outer shell the labels they look at the uh, masks of our traditions it's equivalent to judging a book on its cover or a person on its face instead of acknowledging the essence, the contents of the book, or the personality of an individual. Now, they do the same thing with religions, the spiritual tradition, and here's the point, that there's actually three traditions, or should I say stratas, or ways to relate to the, to the divine, to the sacred. One is those who deny the material world, and say that the only reality is up there, it's, it's uh, beyond, it's, the, it's God, if you like. And this, all of this is illusion, it's Maya. Then you have the opposite, which says, no, 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 no. This here is the only, what you can sense is the only reality, matter, and the world beyond is an illusion. Now, those two poles, if you like, love to fight. And they kind of are antagonistic towards each other and they are mutually dependent on each other. But then you have this third, more quiet stream that says that neither, actually both are correct. We are both here and there at the same time. In a way, you could say that it's a spiritual materialism or a materialistic spiritualism. In, yes. fact, in fact, some call it high-low-soics, I think. Yeah. So so how do you uh, account for, for that view? Well, you know, the,
0: I, I think a lot of it goes back to the hermetic idea that uh, look, if you are the creator and you're all that is, that means there's nothing outside of yourself. And the only way you can create is within your own mind. Mm. And by that logic, then, everything that we see and experience in this world is just within the mind of God. And consequently, the trick is not to get caught up in the manifestations hmm. uh, and and in in the illusion of thinking it's just material and that's it but recognizing that there's a, a mind behind it, that there's a consciousness behind it, and that the that consciousness is the real reality. Uh, it's not the manifestations of that consciousness.
1: Hmm.
0: And uh, this was a very, you know, this is a very Gnostic idea that, look, it's not that material world is evil, it's that our attachment to the material world is evil because if we become too attached to it we can miss the, the meaning that's behind it mm. and in that meaning is where the gnosis lies and that me, that that meaning is where that's the road map back to the mind of God
1: so so like Cubabalion uh, claims then that all is mind that. Consciousness really is the primordial impulse uh, to existence.
0: Yeah, that's right. In which, uh, in which several physicists have agreed over the century, the last century.
1: Yeah, yeah. Quantum physicism is uh, kind of science rediscovering the ancient concepts. I mean, I've seen so many physics books that uh, compares ancient thoughts with modern findings. Uh, You have uh, famous books like, uh, for instance, Fritzsche of Copper, the of physics, and it seems to me, actually, that the higher up you are in physics, like in astro and quantum physics, I'm not talking about uh, the ordinary school teachers, but really people are in the forefront of researching this, (laughs) it seems that their spirituality is not materialism, as so many other so-called scientists seem to adhere to, but that they are either identifying with, uh, like, uh, uh, Neoplatonism, Pythagoreanism, or Hermeticism, or Taoism, or Yoga, uh, etc., etc., etc. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that when you examine the material world deep enough... Either if you go in the smallest things, like you zoom in, as in quantum, or if you zoom out, as an astro, you, you kind of realize that wow, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is an illusion.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, there's a there's a uh, Sir Arthur Eddington, the, you know, the famous physicist said, uh, physics is the st- the study of the structure of consciousness. The stuff of the world is mind stuff. Something un- unknown is doing. We don't know what.
1: <laughs> right, right. I
0: mean, so I mean, it, it, it's been acknowledged for for at least a century now that uh, look, there, there there appears to be if we if we just study it from a scientific standpoint, there's a greater consciousness. Uh, organizing consciousness behind creation itself, and this is what the Gnostics have always said. They've said, "Look, there's there's a greater consciousness behind things, and if we focus on that, not only can we attune to it and and have it be a guiding force in our lives, uh, but we can live our lives in more of a a, a better natural order." of how that consciousness structures itself, uh, so we don't create as many problems for ourselves or the world or other people around us.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, the awakening was kind of neatly illustrated for the masses in the movie Matrix, which many people don't know actually, (laughs) they took their whole concept from Gnostic uh,
0: lore, (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's exactly right I, I mean uh you know one of the one of the stories one of the mythos within Gnosticism was this this idea that uh, it, it, it was based on the idea of um it, it tells the story of sophia who is wisdom and and sophia fell to this earth and she became totally uh, addicted to matter uh, this, the old Gnostic texts talk about how she basically uh, copulated with <laughs> everything you know yeah. becoming because she was so ad- attached to it all but then as she worked through that process uh, she began to realize that uh, where her the true source of things was and eventually she ended up wedding with the universal consciousness, which was called the Christos in in, uh, a lot of these early Gnostic texts. Mm -hmm. And uh, and consequently, you know, her individual consciousness united with the greater consciousness of God. And in many ways, it's the story of of the fall and then the reintegration of... of, uh, Humanity into the greater collective consciousness, Mm. and uh, and but you see a similar story with uh, this idea of in the Matrix where the uh, you know you have this the the hero near the hero uh, of the story Neo who you know he goes through life
1: a Neo by the way means new. Which means new. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's
0: he's attached to the world, and he's uh, he's learning to work his way through it. And then at some point he has to die mm. to it, and then he's raised uh, from that death through the love of Trinity, right. who represents that uh, Sophia coming in contact with uh, the greater divine, and and then he comes to this greater realization and. Uh,
1: well, it's interesting because if you look at his, his psychopomp, his, his soul guide, Morpheus.
0: Yeah.
1: Morpheus, obviously, is, uh, is a god of the, the other realm, the dreams. The, he, he's an impulse from the consciousness. Yes. So he has to cooperate to become new, to become himself. He has to cooperate, as you said, with Trinity, uh, which is the three forces of creation. Yeah. It's Thys, Antithys, and Synthys, or as they say in the more mythical uh, religions, like in Christianity, uh, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you have the interesting thing, he has to <clears throat> uh, visit the Oracle. And if you pay close attention, you'll see that above the Oracle's door, above the gateway yes do you remember what was written there
0: yeah well it was uh, well I know it was noisetan but I, I don't think it was or know thyself but I think it was in, in Latin, Latin as opposed yeah, Latin. to in the Greek
1: <laughs> exactly and and that's where we tie it in right because to know yeah. yourself is the clue isn't it to, yes. to to gnosis to give birth to this inner gnosis then
0: yeah that's right that's right
1: yeah and you know to the to the
0: Gnostics it should be pointed out that uh, th- this this Sophia archetype actually represented the human soul that incarnates in this world, becomes a soul of personality and uh, thinks it's it detached from everything else but mm-hmm. then eventually. It's able to wed with the greater consciousness, and
1: uh, is this the alchemical wedding?
0: This is the alchemical wedding, yeah. Mm. The, and and this is the this is why, in even in uh, Christianity, when when Paul talks about how we need to make Christ our husband, he, he he's alluding to our soul, the Sophia, wedding with the Universal consciousness, the christos mm. uh, and and through that wedding uh, you know there there's a the union occurs where um, we get back to the oneness
1: now if we assume the somewhat conspiratorial but still founded a concept that all great ideas spiritual ideas uh, spiritual births in in the world the original impulses of all religious traditions at some point gets hijacked by one of these antagonistic traditions I talked about, like everything here is real and that is an illusion or no, no, everything there is real and this is an illusion. Then you get these guardians, right? These people who want to hijack the connection, these this priesthood, these churches. Yeah. Now, would that make sense, that concept, if we look at, let's let's take Christianity then, that uh, they say that, okay, let's make a war on the sacred feminine, let's exclude that part because it's such a dangerous part, because if people do... Uh, marry it or make love to it. They will wake up, and we can't control them anymore. Is Sophia then the lost sacred feminine impulse of the uh, Abrahamic traditions?
0: Yeah, it is for sure. And you know what's happened with priesthoods of of all religions, and it's you know it's. And I'm not trying to bash religions, but oftentimes religions have set themselves up as the middleman. Mm. Between uh, the person and God, and you can charge a lot of money by being the middleman. <laughs> so you know, power. there's a lot. So there's a lot of power there. Yeah, mm. and the Gnostics have always said, "Look, uh, you don't need a middleman. Mm. You know that that connection with God is 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 a is a fundamental part of who you are. You just have to wake up to it." And consequently, this is why the Gnostics have also always been persecuted by, uh, you know, different uh, religious establishments that have sought to control.
1: Yeah, because these two antagonistic forces, uh, the everything here is real or the everything there is real and let's fight. To them, they actually, like I said, they are mutual dependent on each other. They're real enemy would be yeah. everybody who, who, who tries to, to console those two poles. And isn't that why all Gnostic traditions, be that in the West or the East, always have been persecuted, always have been marginalized, and never have managed to be a movement for the masses, because at most times, as we know in, in known history, it hasn't been a good market. It's very hard to get most people into such a concept. So, it's much easier to herd them and control them through some kind of dogmatic uh, middleman structure.
0: Well, yeah, and, and, and the reality is, I mean, the Gnostics said that about 80% of the population is uh, asleep. Asleep, anyways. They, they kind of want to be controlled because they don't know what they're doing or where they're going or what they believe. And it's just, it's easier for someone else to think for you. Mm-hmm. And so the priesthoods have always monopolized on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the Gnostics said, you know, at some point you, get, you have to wake up for yourself. And that, that process usually starts out with the person realizing initially that they're more than just a physical body they're more than just a physical uh, form with physical needs that there's a deeper part of themselves and then they have to wake up to the fact that there's a whole emotional side to them and that uh, their emotions can be used for uh, change in the world as opposed to something that just consumes them Mm. And then they had to wake up to the, the mental side of their themselves and that the, the recognition that uh, their mind is actually just part of a greater mind or a greater consciousness and that there's a greater connection between things. And uh, And then once they worked through all of that, then they were ready to symbolically die to the world and their own way of relating to it and wake up to new revelation of uh, of who they really were, who they really are, uh, why they're really here, and what they really have to offer. (laughs) And that's where Gnosis would reside. But that whole process takes time Mm. And uh, it takes courage on the part of people wanting to truly examine themselves deeper. And uh, until people are willing to do that, they will always be slaves to others that can manipulate them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, people who are even more asleep. I think it's a beautiful picture you're painting there. In in fact, I want to suggest a symbolic illustration of that path. Uh, if you if look at uh, the old alchemical, uh, not just in alchemy, but the old concept of the four elements, you can say that first you have to balance or harmonize earth, which would be, you know, your body, the senses. You have to uh, live in a healthy body to balance earth. Then you need to clean your emotions, like you said, the water aspect of things. You have to balance to still the water. Then you have to still the winds, the air, to, to get your clarity in thought, as Buddha pointed out. And then, only then, when earth, oceans and winds are still, can the sun shine bright through and you can enter fire, the last element. And isn't this the concept then, that when these four elements are balanced, a fifth, the quintessence, the ether, if you like, can be like... If, if you look at the four elements as a cross, you know, four points, Yes. and if they are all in balance, then can that seed that is our soul or consciousness, or primordial essence, then it can flourish, grow, like the rose on the cross, so to speak.
0: That's exactly right. And in fact, this is the reason why uh, there were so many alchemists that chose esoteric names for themselves that were named after early Gnostic leaders okay. and it's also the reason why um, the early Gnostic systems when you talk about groups like the Valentinians or the Manichaeans or the the the, 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 the or or the Mandeans or all, all these different Gnostic groups. Mm-hmm they did different baptismal rites that represented the different stages of awakening. And the first baptism was by water, mm-hmm. the second baptism was by air, and the third was by fire.
1: Ah, uh, so, so that kind of marks the transition points between the, those steps, right?
0: That's right, yeah. It goes from taking earth to water, water to air, air to fire, and then fire to the quintessence. and This is also the reason why they looked at the story of Noah's Ark as not only relating to the the preservation of lost knowledge from before the flood, but it also alluded to this same period, you know, um, same steps of awakening, because in the story of Noah's Ark, the earth is obsessed with its physical senses, Mm. and then along comes a flood, which is water, and then Noah lets birds go into the air, which is air. And then he lands on Mount Ararat and makes a burnt sacrifice to God, which is fire.
1: So it so interesting. So it,
0: so it goes through these steps, and uh, yeah, you know. And this is also why you have uh, in the New Testament you have Jesus saying those who came before me baptized with water and spiritus, which was another name for air. I've come to baptize with fire.
1: Mm. And sword is also a symbol of fire, so <laughs> no, That's wonder, right. no wonder he he claimed he came to bring the sword. Now, we just want to interject here that uh, the Noah myth is the same as the Gilgamesh epos in yes. Sumeria, where they, by the way, have found new Well, fine, new, but now it's emerged uh, new parts of the text that wasn't known before. And uh, I want to say that when we examine myths, people have to be aware that, yes, you can interpret myths literally as it's uh, kind of a a way to preserve knowledge about events. But one should also realize that, like in ancient alien people, ancient astronauts, they, they have a tendency to take everything literally. Right. Then you have the opposite, which is to, no, no, has nothing to do with what has happened. It's all a dramaturgy in our mind. But I, I'd venture that the real esoteric way to view it is that myths and legions have several simultaneous stratas, that they have layers that harmonize, that you have both you can talk about planetary uh, realities, Uh, you can talk about them being aspects of psychology, but you can also talk about them being historical that it all dovetails with each other, it's not an either or but it's like yeah, earth, water, air, and fire are all simultaneous reality at the same time, all comprised in the myths. That's my yes. my uh, pet point. <laughs> Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I
0: agree with that
1: completely.
0: <laughs> I, once, I once said that uh, one of my teachers said you need to learn to read myth as history and history as myth.
1: <laughs> ah, excellent.
0: <laughs> And once you find that middle ground, then you'll have a pretty good idea of what the meaning is behind it. (laughs) That's such
1: a good uh, saying. Now, if you look at uh, the Bible, then, uh, we have a point in, it may be Genesis, uh, where God is asked of his name, and God says, Ego sum, qui sum. Yeah. Now, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, I am... I am that I am. I mean the the, the idea that uh, uh, God is and and really when it comes when you from a gnostic perspective, uh, the thought of it is as soon as you're able to define yourself mm-hmm. as a conscious being, behind that consciousness, is the consciousness of god right so by saying i am as a conscious being you are also stating that you are part of that consciousness of god itself yeah but what what's happened is religious establishments have, have interpreted this as uh, you know have made it into an anthropomorphic being
1: you know <laughs> with, <laughs> of, with beard <laughs> with a beard. An old man with,
0: with a beard. Yeah, that's trying to, uh, you know, do whatever. It, but I think this is what Descartes was really trying to yeah. uh, point to when he said, uh, you know, I think, therefore I am. Mm. Uh, he, he was pointing to a deeper esoteric mystery that... Um, Yeah. It was lost on the profane.
1: Yeah, and if you look at, uh, I think it was Halevi, the British Kabbalist, who, obviously in in, uh, Kabbalah they use Hebrew, so it's, uh, I think it's Ayer, Asher Ayer or something. Yes. But if you look at what you just said uh, a while ago, that if everything is one and everything is mind and you want to make some action, you know too boring, it's static, we need some dynamics here, then you need to do a distinction within yourself, so that you kind of part within the one, uh, in order to get to yeah, from monad to diad, but the interesting thing here is that if you look at this as a circle, and let's say at the top of the circle is the starting point, that would be I am then you have that, which is not myself, it's not me, it's not. It's something else, it's that it's the world of the creation, and then, yeah. but he didn't say I am that, he said I am that, I am so that's the way back, so to speak, so that the last yes. part I am, is that uh, you die in that in a matter, and then you awaken again, like you said in the realization uh, of the gnosis of who am I uh, you know, out on. know you thyself. Oh, I am. That's who I am. I am. That's right. <laughs> so I am. That that's right. I am. That's right. <laughs> Complete that's, circle. That's exactly <laughs>
0: right. Yes, it's you return. Right. <laughs> return to the source. Uh, yeah, a, a number of um, Gnostic traditions, both um, in Kabbalistic and uh, even Sufi traditions, I might add, which are a Gnostic, uh, form of Gnosticism. Yeah. You know, have said have looked to the metaphor of the of the story of the Garden of Eden as representing our our original state of consciousness when we were close to God, and then we fell into the idea of separation and fell into the idea of distinction and classification and, yeah. and we created separation and only through working through all of that then are we able to return back to the garden or return back to our original consciousness connected with god and uh you know, this is very much tied into uh Kabbalistic traditions related to the, the, the breaking of the vessels, you know, the, the shattering of, of, of the different pieces of the original light that need to be, you know, recollected and put back together and uh, and really we're, we're, we're recollecting the fragmentations of ourself mm. when, you know, when we, when we define things in the world. We're really defining our relationship to these things. And ultimately, the conclusion is they're all related to us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to define them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if we weren't one, we couldn't even make offspring. A man meeting a woman resulting in a child. That's just a material uh, manifestation of, of our oneness.
0: That's right. That's exactly
1: right. And when you talk about uh, w- that we live in a fragmented world, uh, I think that the illusion of this level we're living in is that we are lost in the creation, so to speak. Instead of identifying with the wholeness, We kind of single out one little piece of the puzzle and this, this is me, everything else to hell with it. Yeah, that's right, that's right. (laughs) And if every single atom did like that, the whole organism would collapse, wouldn't it? (laughs) That's right. Well, and
0: this is, you know, every problem that we face in the world today is is a result of that kind of thinking, you know. And so this is part of the reason why this, Striving to this this greater way of Gnostic perception is our only salvation for bringing us back together and resolving, you know, some of the uh, the conflicts and everything else that uh, people fight over today. Yeah, amen uh, to that? Yeah.
1: I actually got a realization from what we talked about already. You said uh, you talked about uh, baptism between every level. I just realized that uh, the seven steps in masonry or in alchemy, if you like, yes, is the four elements and the intermediate levels between them.
0: That's exactly right. So thank
1: that's, you for that.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what that is. Yes.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, we the the, the those four levels are. Well, ultimately, the seven, I mean, that's where you also get the idea of the, you know, in the Eastern traditions, the seven chakra or psychic centers, the the expressions of consciousness within the body, the, and this is also tied into the seven seals uh, before revelations, you know, Mm -hmm. to the Gnostics, revelations wasn't about the end of the world, it was about the end of our perceptions of the world, and the awakening to the new revelation of uh, the the consciousness behind the world. Right. So the uh, the set with the opening of each seal. These represented the the these seven seals represented the seven. Levels of consciousness within ourselves that each have to be opened gradually, and as they are, there's a part of how we identified with the world before that dies away, yeah, and a new awakening comes out of it. And uh, you know, and it could be said that these, this, there's a reason why you find this, the same number seven tied in with, uh, of course, the the seven planets in antiquity that the alchemists related, the seven metals, and then, of course, you can get into the Pythagorean ideas of the octave, you know, that there were the seven notes, and then the eighth notes, you know.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that uh, science uh, confirms it, because everything is vibration. And vibration works in seven steps. That's right. So, there's, like you said, seven octaves, seven color tones, and that's just the vibrations that we can perceive with the eye and the ears. But everything is vibration, everything vibrates in, in seven. And when you <clears throat> tie in the, uh, le- let's say, then the Genesis, yeah. you have the interesting fact that. God created the world in 6 days and in the 7th he rested which is kind of uh, logical because you have you have the 6 steps which one could say is the triangle of the material world and the triangle of the non-material world fused together because you talked about the separations within and and creation is a three something it's a <laughs> trinity so you mm-hmm. have you have the physical trinity and a non-physical trinity, harmonizing in six. But the interesting thing is, if you're a painter, for instance, and you're going to create something, you cannot just uh, do it. You have to take a step back at some point and behold and take in and perceive what you've created, which is what they say in Genesis, God saw what he had done and everything was was good so that's the seventh that's the final initiation when you take a step back and you receive you you realize it's not just pushing actively anymore but it's it's kind of letting it coming back to you otherwise it wouldn't be a marriage if you just give and give and give you have to you have to receive too (laughs) i'm rambling now but what do you think about that
0: no no I, i think that's that's completely right even within Genesis, where it talks about the Spirit of God, uh, you know, hovering over the waters, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, well, what happens when you, when you look at water? Uh, you see your own reflection.
1: Mm. Narcissus. That's <laughs> yes, right.
0: And so, in a sense, you know, we, our so-called physical world, which is just the consciousness of God... I mean, it's the reflection of his consciousness. And so, Mm. you know, by this logic, the Gnostics and Kabbalists and, uh, you know, other traditions have alluded to the idea that God is learning about himself through our creation, Mm. which is all in his own head. (laughs) <laughs> and we're a part of his
1: learning process.
0: Uh, our experiences are part of his learning process.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it was. I think it's in the Gurjiev tradition that they talk about that. Well, uh, many traditions say that creation is. It's not like we. You have the creator and then you have the creation and it's done. It's like we're still in an unfolding creation. But the interesting thing in the Gurdjieff tradition, and and that's based on ancient Gnostic and Sufi and even some some Buddhism, I think, is that we are kind of producing energy that the spiritual level receives back. I I think I'm in deep water. I don't know if it's it's a very listener-friendly concept to talk with you about this here and now, but do, do, do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's deep. You're getting it is. deep, but that's, that's good. good. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses.
0: Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks.
1: But let's rather tie it into science again, before we move on to to history and Christianity and all that. Because uh, I claimed uh, a while ago that science is kind of reconfirming these things. And indeed, if you look at the new realizations of science the last, uh, I'd say, maybe the last 30 years, you have the notion that everything is holographic. Now, the holographic principle means that you really don't need all the bits and pieces in order to reconstruct the whole. In fact, you only need one piece, and if you examine that one piece, you'll see that the principle of the whole is repeated, is replicated within that small piece, which means that if you have not just one piece, well, one piece is enough, but if you even have several pieces, you can kind of piece together the whole existence just based on those pieces of the puzzle and that goes to show that Gnosticism has something going for it because otherwise you could say that hey how could just little me be enough to understand everything and cosmos is so huge uh, not just materially speaking but (laughs) dimensionally speaking and everything but then lo and behold if, if thing is holographic and you have a few pieces of the puzzle you can reconstruct the whole. Yeah. And there, that's where you get the notions of Hermetism, like as above, so below. Yes. Or uh, as without, so within. Yes. But things are, are connected. We are a part of the whole. Want to say something about that?
0: Well, even with uh, what's, you know, there's been a lot of news stories recently about the, where physicists are confirming the theories of quantum entanglement in which uh, particles that are at one point in time together and seem to be operating as a unit, as you separate them mm. uh, across a great deal of space, if you affect one, it still affects the other particle. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they're separated over you a know, vastness of space, mm. which seems to suggest that there's a a connected memory that's retained. And the only way that's possible is if there's a greater consciousness unit behind it, (laughs) you know, I mean, because there's no physical force that's operating at that point for them to be able to, for one to act upon the other when it's such vast distances away from each other. So the fact that uh, you know the, they are proving quantum entanglement at this point is just another example of look there, there has to be some sort of greater mind that's behind all of this, and uh, things really are uh, tied together on, on deeper levels that uh, than we normally like to acknowledge and. And I will say one other thing, you know, part of, part of the reason why this is uncomfortable for people and part of the reason why many people don't like to look at Gnostic belief system is it implies that, look, if our thoughts are are affecting our reality and our thoughts are a part of a bigger consciousness unit, then we are a hundred percent responsible for everything that happens to us.
1: <laughs> and yeah. and nobody wants to take responsibility. <laughs> so. No, but I see another aspect to that and that is that it is, is also a liberating aspect that the powers that be don't want us to realise. Of course. Because we also have the power, if we have the responsibility. That's right. And uh, if everyone around me walked around liberating themselves and thereby also liberating the world, I'd lose my power over them. And as you know, power is probably the biggest addictive of all. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. (laughs) And uh, if I'm an absolute corrupt person, I would want to hold you back.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, people have... Uh, people have figured out that they can, you know, manipulate others um, by taking their power away from them. I mean, anytime someone asks you to be afraid of something, what they're really asking you to do is to give your power away to them. Yes. And people forget that.
1: And those people who get off on controlling others are probably the most afraid people of all because. Behind the curtain, if you expose them, if they lose their power, they become very pathetic, uh, afraid, shrinking shells, because these are the people who have the least power over themselves. That's correct. In people's consciousness, you have images from news, like, remember Saddam Hussein? Mm -hmm. He was such a fierce force in Iraq. People feared him, right? And then we have the image of him in the whole (laughs) <laughs> where he was. So on the,
0: in the little cave <laughs> the ground
1: <laughs> yes, and I, I, I wonder how Bush or Blair would look in a similar situation, probably just as pathetic as yeah, of course. as yeah. a Gaddafi or as a Saddam, so so it's, it's just sad how these people uh, these power people manage to based upon, like, like they cannibalize on other people's energy in order to keep themselves on top of the material system, so to speak.
0: Well, and 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 this is where the Gnostics said, "Look, um, you know, if you are going to place your attachment on materialism, then it's a shaky ground. You know, you're not really rooted in what's really behind things. You know, you're you're rooted in a ever-changing, unstable." thing that is is tied to time and place and consequently limited very limited and so you're always going to be afraid and you're always going to be a slave to someone else because you're not rooted in timelessness and you're not rooted in a, a power that's uh you know all pervasive and embodies all people and all things. And uh,
1: well, I think the ultimate subversive force is to become a Gnostic, because uh, there's no bigger threat to the powers that be than someone who who is uh, detached from the illusions, the world where they get their powers and who identifies with the source that is common to us all.
0: Yeah, and there's been, you know, it should be pointed out, there there have been some, you know, misinterpretations over the centuries by historians who have looked at Gnostics and have just called, that said that they were just dualists. Yeah. You know where they believed that there was a god of light and a god of darkness, and the god of light is always fighting against the world of darkness, and we
1: Ahura yeah, Mazda. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that we have to, you know, we have to, you know, unite with the god of light in order to destroy the god of materialism. And but what they don't, what they're doing is they're anthropomorphizing and taking these things literally. <laughs> to, to the Gnostics, these were metaphors. You know, and and uh, they had to do with what what we're allowing our consciousness to be associated with and attached to, Mm. and that um, they didn't literally believe that there was a god that created the physical world and uh, is trying to keep people away from you know the the greater realm of light. They they looked at it as a as a as a metaphor uh, in that we have to. It, it's one thing to acknowledge, hey, we live in a physical world and we have physical needs. I mean, if you don't eat, you're going to die. If you don't go to the bathroom, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are certain physical <laughs> things you need to do in order to keep acting as a conscious being in this realm. But the trick is not to become attached to that, and not to allow that to be your entire reality.
1: So <laughs> you could say that Buddha was a Gnostic. Absolutely. Yeah, and in fact, the Gnostics
0: acknowledge that most religious leaders, you know, that started different religions were were Gnostics. You know, they just uh, they had they had an experience of illumination, and they tried to come back. And teach that to the the culture or the tradition, and using the language of the people in which they live, you know, they lived, and consequently, it, it turned into religious movements. Uh, but you know, for example, the. The Gnostic would have no problem looking at, like a Taoist uh, and like Lao Tzu, the things that Lao Tzu says, and in, in in relating to them as uh, as part of the Gnostic process, and then also being able to look at the story of Muhammad, for example, in which uh, Muhammad goes into a cave and he achieves illumination, and then he leaves the cave and he he uh, you know, begins to take teach a doctrine of oneness, you know. Uh, t-
1: yeah. yeah, that's such a... In fact, that concept goes back to ancient Greece, where you see that in, for instance, Parmenides, in uh, several of these ancient Greek uh, enlightened people who They had this Hesha style of incubation, where they went into the cave, like Pythagoras, where they sought stillness. And when they come back, and this is actually the origin of the word prophet. People today think that prophet means someone who can predict what will happen. But in ancient times... What it really was, was someone who entered the realm beyond through the uh, incubation in the cave, the uh, the stillness, and then they got in connection with an impulse which they brought with them back to the world. And the real challenge, the real trick was to be able to grasp something of the other world and bring it back to us, to share it with us, something that we could use. And in that respect... Is how, for instance, Muhammad was a prophet.
0: Yeah, and exactly. And, and to the Gnostics, you know, the the most famous groups that are that are considered Gnostic, uh, you know, they applied the same metaphor to the Christian Bible, and they said that, uh, look, when when uh, it's no accident that, uh, you know, according to one of the you know, the the biblical tradition, Jesus yeah. was born in a cave. And then later on, Mary Magdalene proclaims, you know, the tomb is empty. Or, or the cave is empty. In other words, uh, you know, Mary Magdalene represented the Sophia. The whole little- feminine. That's right. And Jesus represented the Christos. And that uh, there was the realization that Look, the physical form, if that's all you're attached to, it's empty. It's not it's not real. And that the, the awakening, the resurrection, so to speak, comes from realizing we're more than that you know, leaving the cave.
1: (laughs) So that's that's a symbol of uh, transforming your life then from the sleeper life until the awakened life. That's exactly right. Mm. One more thing about science before we move on to where you've already guided this discussion now because we now we're entering interesting stuff but i want to say one more thing about the scientific thing yes just just to get uh, the more materialistic minded people that listen to this with us and that is that not only the quantum entanglement that you mentioned but you also have probably illustrated best in schrodinger's cat you have the fact that it's no longer a question in science about a phenomenon and an observator, and that the observer and the observed is distinct. Now they realize that the observer is actually influencing the observation, even scientifically, materially speaking. So you have, in as cat, you have the fact that the cat is both dead and alive at the same time, yeah. and only when you actually investigate it is when it falls down to one of the Possible possibilities, but in fact now they know that you actually influences with your expectations, with your mind, with your decisions, and this dovetails also with more, uh, should we say, French scientific notions that's also out there now, like uh, the fact that uh, you can influence water, you can influence your plants. Uh, there, there's so many experiments and discoveries made in these areas, and we're going to have scientists on where we talk about these things. But I think this very much dovetails with what we're talking about here. Uh, yeah, you can take it from there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, you mentioned Schrodinger. You know, one of one of my favorite quotes of his is he said, uh, "You know, multiplicity is only apparent. In truth, there is only one mind."
1: He said that.
0: Wow. And he, He said that, yeah. Yeah. I mean that that was Schrodinger, and that was that was exactly that is exactly what the Gnostics were saying, right? You know that look. I mean, we we are uh, part of a greater unit, and uh, our our so called individual minds are just part of a greater mind, and and our perspectives actually affect the greater unit. And, uh, you know, from a scientific standpoint uh, as well, you know, that can be terrifying if you're trying to study science, which is based on distinction. (laughs) You know, one of my favorite episodes in history that people don't talk about very much, but uh, it has to do with when at the beginning of the 20th century, when there was they began to study subatomic particles and classify subatomic particles. Uh, What the scientists found is that whatever particle they could conceive of, when they went to look for it, they found evidence for it. And consequently, they found hundreds of subatomic particles so, many, so much so that they, they called it the particle zoo, because <laughs> there was hundreds of these subatomic particles they were finding, because whatever they could conceive it, it appeared to be manifesting out of the quantum field. And so what they had to do was narrow down their definition of what a particle could be in order to create a working science. Which means that our entire scientific system as we know it today could just be a subset of a much bigger universe.
1: It's actually just a projection then.
0: That's exactly right. And that we we are just studying a narrowed down definition of what reality can be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, I have always been one of those who agrees that particles are actually just frozen observation points of the wave, that the universe is an emanation, an ever emanation of energy, and that if we take our instruments or our senses and just zooms in on parts of that, that's when you get a particle. But as soon as we remove our attention from it again, it's this ever flowing wave, and and that, I think, uh, is more Gnostic uh, when it boils down to it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Yep. And one more observation, by the way. You mentioned Lao, mm-hmm. Lao Tse, right? The founder of Taoism. Yeah. Yes. It's, isn't it interesting that about the same time, in the West, you had a enlightened soul we call Pythagoras, In the middle, you had an enlightened soul, well, Siddhartha, Gautama, the Buddha. and In the east, you had the Lao Tse. all of them coming to the earth about the same time and putting out traditions, Gnostic traditions that are very similar to each other.
0: Yeah, that's right. In fact, they're so similar, you know, it's worthy to note that, uh, you know, there were, during the Ming Dynasty, there were, uh, Manichaean Gnostics that had made their way into China, yeah. And the, the Manichaean Gnostics, you know, they celebrated a, a Gnostic leader, uh, the founder of their their Manichaean faith, who was who went by the name of Mani. Yeah. And uh, and the the uh, members of the Ming Dynasty thought that Mani was just the Buddha of Light. And they thought, and they also thought that he was the reincarnation of Lao Tzu. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know? And so, and because the the Manichaeans referred to themselves as the religion of light, uh, some people believe this is actually where the the Ming Dynasty got its name because in Chinese, uh, Ming means light, oh. and because there were so many Manichaean Gnostics at the at the Chinese court. Yeah, uh, that's where the uh, the Ming Dynasty may have gotten its name from. But the, but the point is that there was even at that point there was a recognition of, hey, we have these Taoist thoughts, we have these Buddhist thoughts, and we have these Manichaean Gnostic thoughts, and they all seem to be saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So,
1: isn't the the word Sufi a derivation of Sophie or Sophia? Or
0: yeah, what that's one that's one theory. One theory is it is it's from is that it's from the Greek Sophia, meaning wisdom, and uh, you know, according to the Gnostic traditions, Sophia was uh, you know represented the soul, and uh, as it came to experience and, and become an embodiment of wisdom. And this is also the uh, origin, of course, of the word philosophy that was coined by Pythagoras, uh, which is just philo sophia, or to to love wisdom. And uh, yeah, so one theory is that Sufi comes from sophia, uh, though, you know, the other theory is that it comes from uh, wool, the, the Arabic word for wool. Uh, because That's
1: the most far fetched. my, irate, my yeah, 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 I agree. I, I've seen better theories.
0: Yeah, I mean the 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 uh, the Sufi do, you know, in their ceremonies they have a um, the dervishes, for example, before they do when they get into their trance to to enter into a gnostic connection with the bigger universal order. They will lay down a lambskin in the uh, in the east of their temple, and, it, and that lambskin represents the unknown master that they are becoming, hmm. and uh, y- with the idea that uh, you know all great masters in history are all the same master because they're all coming from the same one mind yeah. and uh, so that lambskin just represents that master and so that's the closest association with wool <laughs> you know that, that, that the Sufi have but uh, it, even there that wool is more the exoteric meaning yeah. and the Sophia would still be applicable and uh be the more esoteric or inner meaning behind it.
1: Yeah, and I've seen even better explanations for that word, but we won't have uh, too much focus on Sufism per se today. When we talk about words, I want to go back to the title of your book. Could you explain us why you call it entering the chain of union? What is the chain of union?
0: Yeah, so within several different esoteric traditions and spiritual movements that have this gnostic base they tend to have a ritual in which the members all join hands or link arms and form a circle mm-hmm. in which they are all united as one and symbolically they form a chain in which which unites them with all people who have Come to that realization throughout history in the past, and all people who have come to that realization into the future.
1: So, so is this the same as the chain of initiation?
0: It's same as the chain of initiation, and in fact,
1: the lineage. Yeah, that's right. And you see this
0: uh, worldwide. I mean, I I visited um, uh, Mayan tribes down in. Uh, down in Mexico, out in the jungle of the Yucatan, who, you know, have these initiation rituals that involve the elements, you know, going through the elements of uh, water, air, and fire. Mm. Uh, so taking the earth and elevating it, and then getting to the the fifth element, or quintessence or the ether, the mind, and uh, even they. Form this chain of union uh, at the end of their ceremonies, in which they all link arms and form a big circle, and in the center of which they put a sacred flame, you know, that represents the, the inner fire, you know, that burns within all of them. So, mm. uh, so this is something we find uh, within um, initiatic traditions and spiritual movements uh, worldwide.
1: Mm, I see Um, when we look at uh, how the Gnostics uh, came to be in the western what we identify as the Gnostics obviously as people have realized by now it's much broader than just those movements back in that time but those are the ones who gave the name to it and uh, those are also probably the latest survivors of those traditions uh, unless we include the surviving elements within like for instance Islam as in Sufism or in uh, Judaism as in Kabbalism but the, the church were very hard, they smacked down on them at some point Yes, and uh, and we also know why because we've been talking about how it's a challenge to the powers that be. But yes. could we say that there are really any genuine Gnostic groups today who survived? Yeah,
0: uh, you know there are Gnostic church systems in the world today. I mean they're just not very well known, um, and uh, because most people are asleep, they're they're not attracted to them. But uh, you know, for example, um, there's certainly, uh, for example, the the Apostolic Ewanite Church, or the AJC, is a Gnostic church system. Uh, out in California, in the United States, there's churches like the Ecclesia Gnostica, uh, which is in Hollywood, or Los Angeles area, or the Gnostic Sanctuary, which is up in San Francisco area. In uh, there are a number of Gnostic church systems around the world, and then there's also initiatic fraternities, which at their their core they are Gnostic systems. Uh, whether their their adherents or their followers understand this truth is another <laughs> is another matter, but uh, ultimately they are designed to through a st- stages of initiation. Uh, designed to, to wake people up to their, their true nature and get back to that oneness. And,
1: uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen many groups like uh, EGC, EGU, EGA, etc. So, uh, what they have common is the Ecclesia Gnostica part.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, Gnostic Church. Yeah. <laughs> Gnostic yeah.
1: congregations. But those are the ones with Gnostic in their names. I guess uh, it's safe to assume that um, most Gnostic groups don't even have it in their name. But if you go to the Middle East, uh, are there still any. Should I say genuine groups in like among people who's yeah uh, no? yeah I
0: mean th- there are I mean there there are certain groups that they tend to be persecuted certainly the Mandeans mm. of uh, places like Iraq are a Gnostic group in fact the word Mandean comes from Manada which just means gnosis oh. in uh, in Arabic um. There are also groups like the Druze, which uh, continue to exist in places, primarily in Lebanon, uh, but also even in places like Syria and Israel and Egypt. And uh, I know quite a bit of Druze, even in Nigeria in uh, in Africa. And they, they're, you know, they're Unitarian Gnostics. And
1: um, what about the Sabians? Are they still around?
0: Yeah, Sabaeans, for sure. Uh, In fact, the Sabaeans, you know, there's two groups referring to themselves as Sabaeans. The first group comes out of the area of uh, southern Turkey, uh, in the ancient area that was referred to as Haran. And, uh, you know, they tend to be hermetic Gnostics and then there's another group
1: H- hang on, sorry Tim, yeah. Th- these are not uh, alivis, right?
0: well, they're, they're, the the Sabaeans kind of spread out from that area of southern Turkey and are found some people believe that they've kind of uh, taken their doctrine and formed new religious sects like the Yazidis and the Alawites and the uh, you, know, a, a num- you know the uh, the the Sabeans are mentioned in the Quran, for example, as no. being people of the book, right. and uh, but they 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 venerated the doctrines of Idris, who is uh, you know Enoch of the Bible and uh, also uh, Hermes. Of uh, you know Hermes Trismegistus of the Hermetic tradition. So,
1: hey, speaking of that, did you see that they found a Koran in England that is the oldest known Quran in the world today? In England? In England, of all places, it's a very logical uh, explanation why it ended up there. But yeah. I can send you the link. It's uh, very no, new. That's great. It's, it's so interesting because we don't have a Quran from the time of Muhammad himself, but this is probably the first one. I'll send you the link. No, that's
0: great. Yeah.
1: But yeah, continue.
0: Well, yeah, so, so the Sabaeans, you know, so that's one of the groups that's, that's named themselves Sabaeans. The other group is out of Ethiopia, mm. and, uh, you know, the... the um,
1: the,
0: yeah, the, the idea behind that group is that it actually came from Sheba, and Sheba became ah, Saba, which is right. where the word Sabia comes from. Uh, the original root of the word Sabian probably comes from Saba, which was a Egyptian word that meant star, or stars, and it's the Sabaeans were known to be stargazers and developed astrology, and they were they were concerned, in particular, with certain. Uh, they believed that if you studied certain star constellations, you would notice cycles hmm. that happen in nature and in uh, you know the movement of consciousness with people, and that. Uh, because everything was related to this one consciousness, and so uh, this is really the beginning of, of where you know the study of astrology came from, and uh, uh, but it, it went back to this hermetic principle of you know as within so without, as above so below and uh, ultimately it was all part of one mind and there's signatures within this one mind that you could come to understand by studying nature
1: it's so t- sad i think that uh, today with the rise of fundamentalism uh, that you have uh, so many uh, and 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 when the western powers crush these secular regimes and in in that vacuum you have the fundamentalism rising All these invaluable old traditions are under siege and uh, are kind of being destroyed in front of our eyes. And, of course, the people of the West, they have no clue. They don't distinguish. They think they're all Wahhabists.
0: (laughs) Well, and, you know, one of the the ironies with the Western world is it's become... um, in some ways, in, in its in its plight to become sectarian and uh, everything else, it, uh, it it has almost become atheistic,
1: yeah.
0: and uh, has completely detached itself from anything dealing with consciousness and the greater mind, and you know, which is the root of spiritual understanding and. Uh, So they've kind of, the West is, in some ways, kind of thrown the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater.
1: Precisely.
0: Very very, well put. So it's very hard, you know, you can see why there's a conflict between those who want to be these fundamentalist traditions that want to uh, just accept uh, the dogma of a religious leader without questioning it you know versus uh systems that have completely tried to get rid of spirituality uh of course there's going to be great conflicts and the only the only again reconciliation can come when people start to embrace again that personal gnosis
1: yeah, this uh, this it goes right in the line of what I talked about in the beginning, that you have these two antagonistic forces. Uh, if you see, look at atheism, they say that everything you can sense is reality, forget about consciousness, and their equivalents are the fundamentalists. They are those who say, no, 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 all this is uh, an illusion, only believe in in uh, the afterworld. And they love to fight. And who's trapped in between? Yeah. That's Us, the, the people who are Gnostics, either, either they know it or not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I have a good story that, that I'll interject if it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with, you know, recently I was in southern France. Uh, this was only a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I was meeting with a... Tradition in southern France that was perpetuating a a Gnostic Cathar church, wow. and one of the things that uh, came out while we were there is uh, that you know the the Cathar or Albigensian uh, tradition one of their one of their great landmarks in history was that, was the castle of Montségur which is in the Pyrenees. And in which several Cathars were persecuted by the Roman Church. And these Cathar descendants, they had a, a ceremony, a Gnostic ceremony, a Gnostic mass, that they wanted to perform at Montségur, which is, you know, their traditional place. But they didn't, they felt like they couldn't do it because France has become so secular that if you do anything in public that even appears the slightest bit religious or spiritual you will be arrested wow and they couldn't they couldn't afford to put their families and their jobs and everything else at risk to do one of these ceremonies so they had to ask. They asked me and some of the other people I was with if we could do the ceremony for them because if if we did it at Montsegur and we got arrested, you know the French authorities would just say, "Oh well, you're silly Americans or whatever," and 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 and, 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 and let us go. You know what I mean? It yeah, would, yeah, we wouldn't yeah. be putting anything at risk. But if they were to do it they would be putting everything at risk. Yeah. And it's, so in the, this irony, in the the age of freedom of religion, yeah. uh, people really aren't that free.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. And uh, you, you, you see that, uh, it's not only that, but when, let's say then that the fanatical atheists who are fundamentalists in their own right they don't see the nuances in between so they want to uh, paint all religious traditions as fundamentalism and it's so easy for them I mean, Islam is a sitting duck today, so what they do is that they strengthen fundamentalism uh, be that Islamic or otherwise and then you have those Daesh people, those Salafists these Wahhabists, they want this to happen because they call it the gray zone. You're a Muslim, you come to us because they, you see, they persecute you, they smack down on you. You see, you're marginalized. It's the good enemy. It's what they want. They want this. I mean, it's a threat to the materialists and the atheists if people become Gnostics because <laughs> they become the opposite of crazy. They become actually sound and balanced. So, they want people to be fundamentalists, and the fundamentalist wants people to think, no, no, the only alternative to us is atheism. Right. And there you have that artificial dichotomy that kind of burns the real opposition, which is everyone else, which is us. Yeah, that's exactly right. Real free thinkers. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. It's sad. But listen, people can liberate themselves, and uh, let's say your book here, Entering the Chain of Union, if people buy that book, what can they expect to read about?
0: Well, so in it, I you know, I explore Gnostic philosophy, I explore how it's manifested uh, in different religious currents, and I also explore how it's um, shown up within different uh, initiatic and fraternal systems in the world, mm. as well as uh, other religious currents, that the the common world, uh, shall we say, the profane world, normally dis- associates as separate and uh, and different, but in fact are are all related. Mm. And and not only are they related in their philosophies, but they're related in their rituals.
1: And sometimes and also historical, right? Like you, you yeah. mentioned uh, Cathars. You have uh, the Bogomils, aren't they Cathars too?
0: A- absolutely, yeah. The Bogomils, a lot of people associate the Bogomils of Bulgaria as a totally separate system as the Cathars in southern mm. France. When in fact... Uh, they were teaching the same philosophies, and not only that, but they were they were passing on some of the same Gnostic texts that uh, weren't being passed on by any other group anywhere in the world at the time, which mm. shows that you know they were really the same system, and uh, and uh, so I, I explore some of those connections for sure, and um, and then I also explore as well. Uh, how the um, the Knights Templar of the Middle Ages were were seeking out and trying to connect with some of these different Gnostic currents.
1: Now, uh, I'm I'm betting that many who listen to us today will think, okay, one thing is the historical aspect of stuff, but a key question here is how. How can I become enlightened? <laughs> do, you touch, yeah, sure. do you touch upon this in any way? The you know, I do.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, well, I, ex- I explore this concept of of the levels of awakening, uh, certainly represented by the, by the elements, the classical elements that we talked about before. And, and I talk about how this shows up in different religious texts. And uh, you know, the idea that these sacred scriptures, these sacred texts are are signposts mm. that are that are drawing, that they're a map. But the territory is a place within yourself. Right. And so you have to be able to go there within yourself. And, and the idea is, once you're able to get there... Once your internal world changes, you find that your external world also changes around you.
1: Mm. Yeah, as within, so without. Huh? That's right. Mm. Yeah. Hey, I have uh, I have a note I didn't raise with you. Uh, I want to ask that before we wrap this up. What about the concept of reincarnation? I mean, if everybody <laughs> is one, <laughs> yeah. you could say that you could say that I am you. Uh, and that eventually we will live each other's lives, everyone. I mean, that's just one interpretation There's yeah. so many versions of reincarnation, but how how can we squeeze this into the Gnostic uh, concept?
0: So the Gnostics said that we You know, we have we've developed something that we might call a soul personality a, a personality that is distinct from the greater unit the greater mother unit the greater oneness And that this this personality uh, at some point lost itself in thinking that that was all that was. Hmm. And that uh, through a process of living a life and gaining experiences and then dying and coming back and gaining new experiences, uh, reincarnating several times... The uh, that soul personality would gradually awaken mm. back to its mother unit, back to its source, but that this process takes several lifetimes, and uh, and the reason why it takes several lifetimes is because of the stubbornness of the soul personality itself, mm. <laughs> separating itself, you know, and uh, and so to refine. Everything to separate the the subtle from the gross, as the the hermeticists would say, the alchemists would say, uh, it takes it takes a long time of purifications and but then ultimately, um, uh, you know, when people do get to the, back to that oneness realization, uh, then that soul personality uh, while being able to exist within that oneness uh, can exist within the oneness and as a a distinct personality simultaneously in realization and can make a conscious choice at that point if, if it wants to exist as a continue to exist as a distinct entity and and if so and help others wake up to that point and can continue to reincarnate until everybody gets it which is kind of the the idea behind the amitabha buddha and buddhism you know mm-hmm. the idea that uh Look, there's ne- there's never a true enlightenment. There's never a true gnosis, so to speak, until everybody wakes up.
1: Yeah. So we can't get. The, so we can't leave the others behind. We're kind of in it together, stuck
0: that's in it, the same shape. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to even try to say, "Oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm leave this plane. I'm out of <laughs> here," and see you.
1: Yeah, you guys uh, by, fight,
0: by, <laughs> right? By its very nature, shows that you're really not in the oneness, <laughs> because right, right. because uh, you know all these other everything else that's a part of it is still it hasn't woken up to it yet.
1: Yeah, but that's so. great. It's it's an incentive even to the biggest egomaniacs to to. It's an incentive to be empathic and yeah. reach out.
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> because if you're a spiritual, ambitious person, and oh my God, I, I I need to ascend to the level of the higher beings, even then you can't leave your brethren behind.
0: Yeah, that's right. And this is really the true meaning behind uh, and the true purpose behind fraternity and in fraternities for that matter. Mm. Was the idea that look, these are organizations of people who come together in in oneness and it, it helps them learn to become interdependent mm. and and it helps get them back to the one mind right. and uh, you know then people may not join it for that reason, but ultimately that's the result of <laughs> of what happens.
1: Yeah, and I guess this ties also into the question of how because even though it is a path for us to take alone, uh, nobody here wants to or needs to reinvent the wheel, right? We're all standing on shoulders up on shoulders. So, I guess the idea of mystery schools then is precisely to help each other get it.
0: Yes. That that's that's completely the 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 entire purpose. We're each rays of the same sun, mm. and uh, you know.
1: And that's that's the purpose of your own uh, uh, organization too, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely,
0: yeah. We're all we're all part of what's one what's one human family within the one mind of the one Creator, and uh, we all have to wake up to that. Mm. So.
1: I wish we could end on that beautiful tangent, but I have even one more note I want to raise with you before we we end it here. Okay. And that is the concept of the snake in paradise. Yeah. The tree of knowledge. Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, Because this is an important part of the Gnostic myths, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess we should touch upon it
0: yeah you know to the to the gnostics um the the uh the serpent who who had eve uh taste the forbidden fruit uh was not and opened eve's eyes to knowledge uh wasn't um you know wasn't evil mm. per se all the tasting of that fruit did is is open uh, the consciousness to the dual nature of things
1: so she became they became self aware right
0: became self aware
1: oh yeah. i'm naked i'm ashamed they weren't people yeah that's no. right that's right so it's from innocence to maturity it's, it's right. what you talked about the the rebirth right and that in that ultimately
0: you know the, the the thing is we have to work through those dualities to get back to the oneness Right. Only we work back to it in with appreciation and with our eyes open to what we're a part of, as opposed to, you know, being in ignorant bliss.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is bliss.
0: <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, and for this reason too, I should point out that within the you know within the ancient language, the Greek language and the, the Hebrew language and in other languages, every letter also corresponds to a number. Hmm. And so uh, the word serpent or Nehesh, for example, in Hebrew, uh, if you take the the letters that compose that word and use you transliterate out the their number values through a science called gematria it adds up to the number 358 or 358 mm-hmm. and and the 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 word messiah in hebrew also adds up to the number 358 uh-huh. and so to the to the Gnostics, this was a um, there was a relationship here, and so uh, you know the idea of Moses erecting the the serpent on the uh, on the cross in the wilderness, mm. you know, was a was a metaphor for uh, you know um, this this greater process that you also find uh, symbolically illustrated by Jesus later on on the cross. But it's it's uh, really, it's about this idea of awakening. And, and I should point out from a Pythagorean standpoint that, um, you know, you start out with God who is one. And then you fall into duality uh, in which you encounter the serpent or Nehesh, mm-hmm. which adds up to 358. What you have outlined there is the Fibonacci sequence, <laughs> which mm. is found in all of all of nature. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. One, one, two, three, five, eight. <laughs> so um, we're uh, this is um, uh, you know the Gnostics considered these. This is part of the science of of consciousness. Uh, that was found in in sacred texts but also how it manifested in the world and uh, again it goes back to that idea of there being many levels or layers to sacred scripture mm. and myth yep. and uh, this is just one more aspect of it. Mm.
1: Oh, this opens so many uh, associations. Uh, We 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 could sit here and philosophise the rest of the day, but we're at the top of the hour, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think we have to throw in the towel for today. But what little we have touched upon, and believe us, folks, we've only scratched the surface. But what little we have touched upon, I hope, can give a little appetisers to explore this deeper now if anyone wants to and, and i'm sure you would be the first to say that your school is not the only one or the right one etc
0: correct <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah i mean it's you who we have here now so if they want to explore yours uh, how would they expect how how would the gnostic journey be through your guidance uh, well, you
0: know, the, you know, the tradition I represent uh, is connected with Circes International, and uh, people could go to CircesInternational dot org, and Circes is spelled C I R C E S, which is just a French acronym for the you know international circle uh, for for spiritual uh, research and study basically, so it's. Um, you know, it's a uh, it's a school to that that tries to study these different traditions from from around the world, and it is a school that uh, is has Templar foundations to it. Uh, it was it was set up and developed by the Knights Templar uh, tradition, and uh, that I represent, and so it's a it's certainly a way for people to. Uh, explore several different venues of Gnostic belief system. And uh, and then from there, they can certainly go and study and focus uh, more in depth uh, between any one of these different venues that still exist out there.
1: Mm. Okay. Uh, as usual, people, if you go to our presentation of Tim at our guest presentation page, you'll find all the essential links, so you don't have to, to memorize that web address. Great. Yeah. So uh, uh, I have to thank you for put time of your busy schedule to drop by us uh, today. Oh, you. I'm
0: happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. And uh, if uh, God willing, inshallah, <laughs> we'll have you back soon to discuss <laughs> a similar topic. <laughs> inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it. That's that's that. And that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed that we put forth a somewhat philosophical talk show for you this time, as it will be part of several similar approaches for future programs. Also, a big thanks to our recent donators, especially that one generous lady. You guys really helped us get the last programs out there. If you can't contribute to financing the forum, hopefully you'll lend us a hand and spread our work and online pages to your network. Before parting, consider these selections from the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, which is as old as the four canonical Gospels. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. The kingdom is inside of you and it is outside of you. Recognize what is in your sight and that which is hidden from you will become plain to you. For there is nothing hidden that will not become manifest. His disciples said, When will the kingdom come? It will not come by waiting for it. It will not be a matter of saying, Here it is, or there it is. Rather, the kingdom of the Father is spread out upon the earth, and men do not see it. End of quote. Remember that the words of advice above the Pythian temple portal of Delphi in ancient Greece didn't just say know thyself, a much more profound task than most would believe at first glance, but that the full quotation is know thyself and you shall know the gods and cosmos. Until our paths cross again, sincerely, from your host, Al and the Borealis team. Be seeing you. Who is number one?